We see the Garden of Eden as a pristine place where things were right, male and female dominating the earth, having dominion over the earth, co-laborers cultivating the garden, getting closer and closer to the new heavens and the new earth and the ideal of the kingdom. And so as the church, we're supposed to represent this new heavens and new earth. We have a topic today with a special guest, which I believe can be a game changer in the restoration of the church and in the capacity of the church as salt and light to impact society and culture. Here's a question. What if women came to their full place, their full voice in the body of Christ? God says at the outset of scripture in Genesis, let us us meaning the Trinity, the community of the Godhead, let us make man in our image, and in the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them, and we read that he gave them the capacity to exercise dominion, to extend the rule and the reign of God throughout the earth. So what could it mean in terms of imaging God more powerfully in the earth when we have women coming into their full stature in Christ, their full kingdom rights along with men and exercising dominion under his sovereignty and on his behalf, not just within the context of marriage, but as principle within the context of the church itself, male and female. This is Brian Del Turco. You're listening to Jesus Smart, the podcast, episode number 89. Our special guest today is Mary DeMuth, an author, podcaster, speaker, and artist. She's written over 30 books. I think it's close to 40, translated into five languages. She has a problem. She has a problem with Christian celebrity and abuse abuse spiritually, sexually, and otherwise. And she has thoughts on the Holy Spirit empowering women in the 21st century. You can explore Mary's website at marydemuth.com, Mary, D-E-M-U-T-H, dot com. The title of the site is Restory, The Old is Gone and the New Awaits. Here's what she says. I love Jesus. And really, that's the most important thing about me. I flat out love him. Why? She says, because he's amazing and he has utterly, truly, completely restored me. Check it out at marydemuth.com. Also, I want to draw your attention to another resource, we2too.org slash pastors. We'll give pastors and leaders a free, long PDF of resources in the area of spiritual abuse, sexual abuse within the church, uh, the restoration of these issues within the church setting. Also, we2.org slash 21 days. Everyone should go there. It's a free 21-day email series that she wrote for those struggling through their own healing in this area of sexual abuse and other forms of abuse, I'm sure. We too, wetoo.org slash 21 days. I just love her passion. I really do. I love her thought. 
how Jesus empowers women. Uh, she'll be talking about egalitarianism versus complementarianism. Some of you will know about that conversation in the church today. Even if you've never heard of that phrase, stay tuned. You're going to want to learn about this. The kingdom rights of women, how to stand for justice on issues of spiritual abuse and sexual abuse. Yes, in the church. She's part of the Southern Baptist Convention, SBC, the largest Protestant denomination in the nation in recent in, in recent years and just within the past several years, there's been something of an expose of sexual abuse issues which were really not forthrightly dealt with and covered over. It looks like the arrows are starting to point in the right direction in the SBC, but this issue is not limited to the Southern Baptist Convention, the largest Protestant denomination. It's across all of evangelicalism. And of course, we know it's been in the Roman Catholic Church as well. There's a lot here in this conversation. Her her ministry is rich in insight, and it's really uh, an effort to be efficacious in the practice of local church life. I would just like to call your attention to last week's episode number 88, because it's, it's really something of a corollary to the theme today, designer sex with Dr. Julie Slattery of AuthenticIntimacy.com. Well, you'll learn more about Mary's incredible bio on the inside of this conversation. Let's take in the conversation. Let's pass it along, my friend, to as many sets of ears as we can. Here's Mary DeMuth. I am really excited today to have with us Mary DeMuth. How are you doing, Mary? I'm doing great. How are you today? (laughs) I'm doing well, and I'm excited about our conversation. And my hope, Mary, is that, and I believe that we're going to touch on something. You know how in the military they use the phrase intel? Right. I'm looking for some God tell, if you will, mm-hmm. about about this issue. And it's very interesting to me, Mary, just before we get into your bio, that when we look early on in Genesis, we see the community of the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit saying something like this, let us together make mm-hmm. man in our image. And then male and female, he created them. And what I'm just wondering about is that we need to see both male and female in the Jesus experience come into their full place, their full rights, if you will, their full position to really bear his image well in the earth. God is sovereign, but I think he's looking to us to exercise dominion on his behalf, on behalf of his sovereignty. And there's just so many edges and so many ways that we could exercise that dominion, I think, if we were to see this partnership, not just between husband and wife, but male and female together in partnership in the kingdom, that that principle. And do you think the adversary fights against this, Mary? <laughs> <laughs> uh, is that a rhetorical question? <laughs> uh, yes, of course he does. And anything that represents the unity of the Trinity is going to be under attack. And as you mentioned, um, having both female and male voices in the kingdom are utterly important and living in cohesion with those voices and um and dignifying each other as fellow uh, image bearers of of God is super important. And uh, 
So I'm just grateful to be able to have a conversation like this. Oh, wonderful. Yeah. I was hoping you would say what you just said, and I kind of knew you would. <laughs> and, and, and Mary is so experienced in this space, and I love reading her bio. She says, the first thing I want you to know about me is that I love Jesus, and that's the really most important thing about me. I flat out love him, you say. He has restored you. Your website is Restory. MaryDemuth.com, but the name of your website is Restory. What's the um what's the backstory there, Mary, about the name of your site? Well, I had really been working through a lot of my healing journey um, for years, and I think a lot of people can relate to that. It's not some sort of like quick spiritual band-aid that gets fixed if you have trauma. Mm-hmm. And as I continued that healing journey, I realized there was a point to it. For a long time, I was just wallowing and slogging my way through, which is part of the process. And then eventually, I realized I had been given the story in order to help other people. So I was restoried in order to help other people restory their stories. And that's where it all came about. Wow. Do you feel that the born again experience in Jesus is in part meant to be the initiation of a of a restory process in our lives? Yes, that's definitely my uh, experience. I can definitely speak from my own experiences. When I met Jesus, that was the beginning of my healing journey. And I had kept, you know, many things silent for about a decade. And once I met Christ, I was able to begin to let them out. And that was the first step toward really finding some health. You're a prolific author. Do you subscribe to the idea that there's a grand narrative, a story that God is telling, which is above beyond us wonderful full of full of um full of wonder and yet our personal lives are meant to be subplots or or life stories that fit into that greater story of course and it's all a part of the narrative of the kingdom and it has it's not i think we have made a mistake when we divide the testaments and we think okay that's the old story and here's the new story it's actually a, like you said a grand narrative coming from the very beginning that that God in his Trinitarian form had um, a plan of salvation for humanity. And uh, that whole process incorporated the whole of the Testaments. And you're right, all of us play a part of that little, a little part of that grand narrative. And that's what makes life exciting for me day by day, because I realize, well, what am I, what part am I playing? Mm. And I do want to live to hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. Like that is my almost obsession. Like I want to know that what I'm doing on this earth is making some inroads for the kingdom. Not that I'm anything special, but just that the Holy Spirit through me is able to help other people find health and transformation. Yeah. Our, um, our main motivation is really for his glory and for his story. And yet, you know, if if we could see our experience in Christ as sort of a reinitiation, a restreaming back into his story that was lost, and he can redeem our past and now and now really unfold for us our personal story. I just I have a real interest in that, a real a real burden about that. More than just, you know, saying a prayer, attending church and, and waiting for heaven someday, right? Right. Mary has been married to Patrick for 25 years. Uh, They have three adult children. In the mid-2000s, you helped to plan a church. 
in southern France. Could you give us a, a sentence or two about that experience? <laughs> it was hard. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was difficult. Um, yes, we were there for a couple of years, and we ended up uh, bringing on some a French couple who have continued the work to this day. And so it's been really heartening to see their ministry explode. And uh, we were just part of getting them, I think, onto the field. Uh, she loves to cook, garden, decorate, design. She enjoys running. She's completed three sprint triathlons. That's the first time I've heard the word sprint. What is a sprint triathlon? It makes it sound like I did it really fast, but it's just a shorter triathlon. Okay. Shorter <laughs> so I'm not that, hel- not right. that crazy. Well, well I'm, I'm, I'm sure you're above the average bear with fitness. Um, <laughs> she's passionate about the underdog, the oppressed, and those who don't have a voice. She's particularly upset, she says, about celebrity Christianity and ministries that that spiritually abuse abuse others. Real quick, Mary, what's your take on celebrity Christianity and ministries that spiritually abuse? Well, I think we have to get back to those warnings about fame and and just what happens when a claim comes your way. Uh, you can either, you know, run to Jesus about that, or you can let it go to your head. And so, if it does go to your head then you can tend to surround yourself by yes people. And then you no longer have a prophetic distance from your ministry. And Mm. you begin to believe all the press that other people say about you, which then isolates you, which then causes you to view people as things to be used rather than people to love. So, So, yeah. (laughs) Wow. That's wow. I mean, I just really connected something there. So you would see quote unquote celebrity Christianity as sort of a preface for unfortunately, sadly, tragically, ministries that abuse? It can be. I think there's definitely people who are well-known in the Christian world out sure. there who are doing an excellent job, and they weren't searching for fame, and it just kind of happened to them because of what you know they were saying and their, you know, what they were doing. But there are others who have chased it, I think, and that in that pursuit, there come some dangers that we have to be careful about. Yeah, for sure. And our, you know, our culture, the soup that we swim in in America is, of course, obsessed about this idea of celebrity, about celebrating the human being. And unfortunately, it leaches into the church. Uh, She writes that she's been writing for 25 years, half of them in obscurity, and then also mentoring other writers and continuing to work with writers today. She's written over 30 books, translated into five languages, currently lives in North Texas. You serve in your local church. It's a large Southern Baptist church, right? Right, Mary? Yes, yes. Very large, very Southern. Well, not very Southern Baptist, but it is very large and it is affiliated with the SBC. Okay. SBC, that's a pretty big tent, isn't it? Is, is there a, yeah. It's, 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 it's really not a homogeneous denomination as such, no. is it? Yeah, that's, that's my understanding. And, and we'll come back to that. But she serves alongside with her husband and she's had the privilege of speaking around the world in places like Johannes, Johannesburg, Monaco, Monaco, Geneva, Munich, Port-au-Prince, Nice, and Florence, Florence, Italy. That now that's that's a tough mission field right there, Florence. I tell you, <laughs> yeah, I've been there once, and I want to bring my wife back there. It's a lifetime goal. Okay, she says that although her past story is difficult, her current story leaks leaks adventure. And again, her site is marydemuth.com. It's called Restory. The tagline is the old is gone, the new the new awaits. And you also have a podcast called Pray Every Day. Tell us just a bit about that, Mary. 
Yeah, if, if um, folks are interested, it's prayeveryday.show, and it is where I pray you through Scripture every day of the year for about five minutes. So currently I'm walking through the uh, the book of John, and so I'll read like 10 to 20 uh, verses of that book, and then I will pray according to that for my audience. And what I'm finding is people from all over the world are are subscribing, um, over 111 countries now, which is awesome. Wow. But <clears throat> one of the things I say is if you feel like no one on the world, no one in the world is praying for you, you can, you can just listen to that and know that there's at least one person in the world praying for you. Wow, I so so appreciate that. And so you're actually taking sort of an expository take on the scriptures and just using the scriptures as a as a prayer template. Yes, that's exactly right. So Mary, let me ask you, as a um what I would call a significant kingdom voice, like a kingdom life voice, what do you feel are the top two or three messages that the Lord is asking you to to carry? Definitely one is um, that we no longer as a church need to be hiding what is going on behind closed doors, that uh, we need to become a lighthouse for those who have been abused, and we no longer need to harbor those who are abusers. So that's definitely one. Another is um, that you do not have to be held hostage by your story, Mm. but that the Holy Spirit can utterly transform a life. It doesn't mean that you won't ever suffer traumas after effects, because I still suffer them, but there will be transformation that happens in light of that. And then I would think another would be, um, I'm really passionate about the local church, and I love to see her walk into that kingdom power of seeing Um, opportunities by blessing the weak and by listening to the meek and by understanding that if Jesus were walking the earth today, he would be noticing those kinds of people too. You know, I, um, I think you probably agree with me that the Holy Spirit is seeking to restore the church today. Yes. And that um, unique kingdom life voices with the messaging that he gives them are important pieces in um, that process of sort of pushing on those edges and inviting others to come into um, a more advanced experience, a more elevated experience in Christ and in his church. Um, you know, I'm, I'm interested about a verse in Psalm 139 where David says that there is this book. We know about the book of life. You know, Jesus said, hey, told his disciples, don't celebrate that demonic powers are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in the book of life. We We know about that, but there's Another book, I guess, referenced by King David in Psalm 139, he talks about a book, Pages of Destiny, the days that have been ordained for us. How do you feel about this notion, uh, Mary, of uh, in faith, even though we don't know everything that's on those pages, it's sort of maybe an unfolding understanding to us as we journey with Christ, but praying those pages, proclaiming those pages, having faith for for what's on those pages in, in terms of the story of our lives. Yeah, I think that's connected to sovereignty and understanding that God knows everything and that He is working that story out. And then our responsibility is to work our, work out our salvation with fear and trembling. So there's two sides to that. Yeah. We understand that He has ultimate sovereignty over the universe, 
but that we also have responsibility to be active in our Christianity and chase after what is next. And I do believe that he gives us insight as we look over our stories. If we take the time, if we stop looking at our phones and we take some quiet moments to really hear his voice, we will begin to um, untangle what uh, we have been through and what it means in the kingdom. Yeah, the phones, you know, the smartphone, a blessing and a, and a curse, right? The bane and the blessing of our smartphones. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, really. And, and just understanding that, you know, the born again experience is not just saying a prayer and sort of securing our eternal state, you know, going for that baseline, but then living, frankly, a pretty mediocre life of church attendance, waiting for the Lord's return. But it's an invitation into partnership and to fully engage our, our life story. He's counting on it for his story, I think, as, as, as part of that. I wanted to touch on a book that you wrote in the past with Frank Viola, The Day I Met Jesus, because we are talking about women today. We are talking about the female gender, especially. And The Day I Met Jesus is a book that you both collaborated on together as authors. You co-wrote it, and it features five women, correct, from the Gospels that were empowered by Jesus, healed, restored. You know, how would you summarize that that book and the content that you um, highlighted there from the Gospels? Well, I think there's a lot of a lot that we miss if we don't ask questions of the text. And I'm teaching a study starting next week. And one of the things I'm going to be teaching is the importance of observation of the text. So Mm. for instance, in, in the Samaritan woman narrative where we find, and that she's one of the five that we look at um, my job as I'm also a, a I started off my writing career as only fiction. So I was a novelist. I still am a novelist. And so my part of this was to reimagine their lives and to do as much research as possible and keep as closely to the biblical text as possible using the exact words as dialogue and Mm -hmm. all of that. So in my research of her and uh, understanding her, we've always kind of looked at her as like this loose woman who's like, oh, well, she's been divorced so many times. Now she's living with someone, not asking the important questions. Why? Why was she divorced five times? This was unusual. And what I have learned is that a lot of times women were divorced during that time if they could not produce an offspring. Mm. And there is no indication that she had any children at all. It said she was living with someone, but there was no indication that she had children and uh, was given that certificate of of divorce, most likely. Of course, I don't know. I'll ask her in heaven. But um, this was an idea that that was compelling to me. And then when you read the narrative of the two of them, you have a different view of it. You don't see it as, oh, Jesus is talking to this sinful woman. He's talking to a Samaritan, which is, um, you know, a no-no, a woman, which is a no-no. And he talked to her in such a way that she didn't feel shame. She didn't walk away and say, oh, I'm not going to talk about this ever again. She said, come see a man who told me everything about myself. Mm -hmm. Like he understood her. And we learn also that this is the longest theological discussion that Jesus has with any human being in the New Testament. And so, wow, I mean, look at that. You think, um, in terms of having a conversation, he is having a conversation not only with someone on the outside of the Commonwealth of Israel, but a woman as well. And this was right around in the narrative where you're beginning to see Jesus trying to help his disciples understand that the Messiah is not someone who's coming to rescue Israel from their um, political plight. 
he's a Messiah of the world. And he's constantly like moving them toward this idea that this is not what you think. And this is going to be something utterly unexpected. Wow. And so with talking with Samaritan, you're seeing here, and she's the first evangelist, uh, um, evangelizer. She goes out to her, her city and starts telling people about Jesus. And we see the beginning of the expansion of that kingdom beyond the nation of Israel. Wow, just that account of her is, is so loaded. Yeah, and his disciples were amazed when they when they came back, right? That that, she, that Jesus was talking with her, with a Samaritan and and with a woman. The day I met Jesus, frankviola.org, his site beyond evangelical, frankviola.org is the URL, and then I th- I believe there's also a website just for this book, the day I met Jesus.com. But let me ask this question. Was Jesus a revolutionary when it came to women and children? Another softball, Mary. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Uh, absolutely, he was. It's easy answer to that question. Um, you see it throughout all of the narratives. And that's why when I talk about abuse and sexual abuse within the church, I just try to make it super simple. And that is, if Jesus encountered someone who is being abused, how would he respond and then the answer to that question is how the church should respond. And so uh, if you look at Jesus in the New Testament, uh, throughout the Gospels, you see him dignifying women in surprising ways. He says of Mary of, of Beth, I think it's Mary of Bethany or the, the, it could be the prostitute that loved much, but one of those two, both of them poured um, vial, the vial of perfume on Jesus's feet. Okay. Um, but he says, when the gospel is preached, we're going to remember this woman. And that is profound. We see that the first proclaimers of the resurrection are women. We see this completely upending, um, cultural upending going on in just in that particular instance, that the fact that the first witnesses of the resurrection are are not the disciples, not the 12, but these women. And so, yes, absolutely revolutionary, uh, way outside of people's thought processes. And, you know, we live in a world now in, in parts of the world that are very misogynistic, and we're seeing it even in the United States as well. And where, you know, when this was written, recorded in recorded history, it was like a million times worse. And so for him to really go out of his way to dignify people like that, it's it's something to pay attention to. Wow, it sure is. John John Ortberg of this book says that Jesus from the very beginning has been has been good news for women, and he's good news for women still. Now, how would you define um, a feminist, Mary? Oh, that's a hard question. I'm not really sure how I would because the answer would be so differently loaded depending on which perspective you have. Okay. But if I were to say um, one who follows Christ as a feminist, it would just simply be someone who also sees the image of God in women as well as men equally and not any different, uh, both co-heirs to the kingdom of God. So, for example, if a woman had a brother who was a feminist, he would object to like women being paid less than men for equal work, right? Sure. Because, because yes. he's for the rights rights of women, or he would object to women being merely objectified and abused, you know, emotionally, mentally, physically, in any kind of a sexual way, correct? Correct. Um, So just in sort of this baseline understanding of a feminist, a core understanding of it, can we call Jesus an original true feminist? I'm just wondering. 
Yeah, I think so. I mean, again, that's such a loaded term, so I hesitate to say it boldly, but um, but yes, in the terms of recognizing the plight of of that gender of, of women and elevating them to an equal status with men. Absolutely. Okay. So I encourage you to check out the day I met Jesus.com for that book. Now I know you're releasing several books this year. This seems to be a big year for you in publishing. <laughs> it's a right? big year. Wow. I'm tired. <laughs> okay. Um, it may be a book back now this year. You released we too, how the church can respond redemptively to the sexual abuse crisis, Harvest House Publishers. What are you hoping for from that book? That is my 39th book and um, probably my most important. It is the most important book I've written. And so there's a lot that I feel at stake in it because I believe that the church should and can do better when it comes to this issue of sexual assault. And I'm not just talking about, oh, when we find out that a youth youth pastor is abusing a congregant. I'm not, although that's part of it, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm also talking about the person in the pew who feels like they are completely alone and that the issue doesn't exist because it is simply never talked about from the front of the church. It's as if it's a non-issue. As similarly to domestic violence, you just don't see a lot of those kinds of stories from the front of church. You hear like, oh, well, this guy was on drugs and now he's better. This person was addicted to porn. Now they're better. Their marriage was really terrible. Now it's better. Okay. But so few times do we hear, I was sexually assaulted, and this is how Jesus has intersected that story, or uh, my Christian husband was beating me, and here's how Jesus intersected that story. We need to have uh, sheds a little more light, a lot more light on this issue. Yeah, now everybody's heard about the so-called Me Too movement, right? This just happening in culture generally, and it's really giving women a uh, sense of permission, is it not, to now talk about these things, to surface these issues, things that have been happening for decades, and uh, making, uh, you know, bringing it out into the open so that transformation and change can happen in terms of just culture, the way that men and women relate, the workplace policies and procedures, how do we deal with issues when they happen instead of sweeping them under the rug, you know? So, so the Me Too movement, and then is it true that the We Too movement is sort of a church parallel movement to this on its coattails? Is that right? Um, I, don't, I don't know that I thought of it quite that way. I, I thought of it more like the idea of when in my own healing journey, I, I healed when I was with others, I did not heal in isolation. And so it's more like we heal better together and what a better place to heal, um, is with other Christ followers. And so, uh, it wasn't necessarily written as a, on the coattails, it was more of a, we, we heal better in community and church should be the safest place that we heal. It's oftentimes not, but it should be. What do we do with that verse that says that judgment begins with the house of the Lord? Hmm. Should we not be on the leading edge of, of these types of issues instead of playing catch up or, or trying to respond to what's happening generally in culture? Yes, we should be cleaning house, but the fact is that we have been cleaning reputation rather than cleaning house. And when we do that, we prefer our reputation over the cries of those who have been broken in our midst, then it will be God's mandate to clean the house. And He will use prophetic voices 
to um, begin to stir up that holy reckoning and that holy desire to be pure, to have a bride of Christ that is pure, not hiding things, not um, covering things up. Yeah, we really should be the most clear, the most transparent, I would think. Um, I think that clarity and transparency seems to be a high value with God. Confession, openness, healing. Now, the Roman Catholic Church, we know about their problems over recent years with these issues. And now it's, you're part of the Southern Baptist Convention, which is, I think, the largest Protestant denomination in America. Am I, am I correct? That's correct. Yes. And, and so we could say that these are the two largest sort of religious bodies in the U.S. And they're both in various ways swept up in this crisis. Mm-hmm. We've been hearing about, you know, horrific details about the Catholic priests who preyed on parishioners and then bishops who covered it up. Now, you're a Southern Baptist. Um, I, I know that this issue is not limited to SBC. It's across the evangelicalism. Is it clear, though, that for some time that SBC leadership has been sort of ignoring and suppressing these these issues and not, and not dealing with them forthrightly? I, I'm not a huge expert on the SBC, but what I can say is that um, for many, many years, this issue has been quiet. And it started being um, highlighted in the mid-2000s by several advocates. And uh, from what I know, and again, I'm not really close to that particular story. I was out of the country at the time. But um, what I know that there there was a lot of dismissal back then. Um, however, this year, um, the SBC has really taken a more proactive and uh, more um, open stance about it. I think that did come in, af- in the reckoning of the Houston Chronicle article. And so it is unfortunate that it has to be the press that begins this, you know, this outing. Um, but I am confident that uh, things are at least are being talked about and are moving in a redemptive manner forward. The SBC has created a Caring Well campaign um, for churches that they're encouraging all their churches to learn about how to protect their children from this kind of abuse and also how to be a better place and a haven. They're having a conference this October. They scrapped what they were going to do at the ERLC, the Ethics and Religious Liberties Committee, and they chose instead to do a Caring Well conference, which is all about this issue. So they are moving definitely forward toward transformation and transparency. Um, But yeah, I think any denomination has had this exact same problem. And we're also seeing it in really sadly, like in missionary schools all over the world, which are, these are just terrible, egregious stories. Um, I saw uh, there's a conflict even this week um, with the, I think it's Assemblies of God. I could be wrong, but uh, definitely charismatic um, leadership approving of a man who uh, definitely did some bad things and oh, yeah, put Tom, him back in him. You're referring yes, to Todd, Todd Bentley, yeah. Yes, thank you. That was it. And, um, you know, putting him right back in the ministry. Right and he is, yeah. 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 So we're just, we're just, uh, we're so um, I don't enamored. understand that. Yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah. I know. We're really enamored with the, um, the idea of, oh, well, grace is so great and it covers everything. And, and I agree that grace is great, but we are held as leaders to a higher standard. Absolutely. If you are a shepherd, you're held to an even higher standard. And if you violate your sheep, then, um, 
pretty much in my mind, it's it's over. Find a find another job. Because, yeah, really, get out know, of the ministry. Just, What's yeah. the, I, I mean, I've been having conversations. You know, uh, uh, not not uh, dark conversations about this, not carnal conversations, but it is something we need to talk about. And uh, you know, with a few people, my wife and others, and. Um, yeah, what's the fetish with ministry? I mean, if you can't control yourself or if you feel you want to lead that kind of a lifestyle, you know, get get out, go do something else. But but don't keep. And, and so in, in this case with Todd Bentley, uh, what, what was it, 2008? He yeah. fell into an affair with a staff member, I believe, or an intern, ended up divorcing his wife, leaving his family, marrying her, placed right back in. Mm-hmm. to his ministry by by certain leaders and now it's coming out that there's more of a pattern of this and even worse recently yeah. that has emerged and so uh as of this date to my knowledge he's still staying in his position there's nobody you know i uh i agree with you i mean james 3 1 says let if you but not many of you be teachers i mean there's yes. there's actually an admonition there you know if you so can do, stricter, they will incur yeah, stricter judgment. Stricter judgment. Yeah. I mean, if you can do something else, do it is sort of the inference there, you know. Uh, mm-hmm. If you're going to take this on, you're under different strictures, different standards, and uh, not only personally, but also in the way you execute leadership, right? Um, oh, yes, exactly. Yeah. It's a massive problem. I know it's widespread, and it's not exclusive to SBC, and it's across the spectrum of the church. And it's just a, um, a sad commentary on uh, the issues of sexuality uh, you know, problems with uh, pornography, uh, lust, I'm, I'm ju- just, um, that's just leached into the church. We have to do everything we can to get our, get our act together. Well, I'm glad to hear that the trend lines, it seems like the arrows with the SBC are pointing in the right direction. Uh, that's encouraging to hear, and I know it's probably an ongoing process and might take some some weeks to or, or years to uh yeah. fully fully work <laughs> out but what's the root of this though mary <laughs> what what is what is the root I, I i have some we understand in part paul said in first corinthians 13 i'm you know i have some instincts about some of these things but what what do you feel could possibly be be some of the roots for this. Sure. I, of course, will go back to Romans 1, when people give themselves over, God, or God allows them to be given over to a depraved mind. And then you see this list of sins, and it seems to fit all of the things we're talking about. So we've got that in play. We've got... Um, We've got the pornography problem, and I wrote an entire chapter in the book about that because I think we're not talking about it very much. And um, if we want to talk about sexual assault, we have to talk about porn. We do. Because it is, uh, if you are desensitized by watching it over and over and over again as a female or a male, you will begin to think that consent does not matter. Um, that people don't really mean it when they say no, because we see so much rape narrative go on in that industry. Plus, you've got people making money off of it. So we've got that economic issue going on. And you have sex trafficking going on. Why? To fuel that industry and to fuel people who are no longer satisfied with seeing it on a screen and must go out and enact it upon somebody else and or cause their spouse to deeply stumble and and rape their spouse. So there's just all sorts of crazy things going on underneath this entire issue. And under all that is, of course, the enemy who wants to steal, kill, and destroy. What better way could he 
use to steal, kill, and destroy, but to hurt us in our very identity and in our sexual in our sexuality. And so this this is a gigantic hairdo of an issue. And uh, there's, of course, it has its roots in sin. It has its roots in the evil one, and it has its roots in um, covering things up. It's amazing how evil seeks to cover itself up and you try to get situations exposed and it's like nailing jello to a wall. Paul seemed to talk in Ephesians 5 that we are the light and that light reproves darkness or it will manifest situations for the purpose of redemption, for the purpose of betterment, healing, not for, not, not for a carnal motivation. Um, and we can't, we can't be afraid of that. Now, you know, just dropping back to this what theologians call the Proto-Evangelium in Genesis 3.15, where God tells the woman that the serpent will hate you and he will hate your seed, meaning the Messiah, the messianic line that would come forth beginning with Eve and through Israel. And is there something more there than just the first mention of the gospel you know, prophesying the redemption of Christ and the seed, the Messiah would come. Does Satan hate women in a unique way? Well, I, I guess in terms of, uh, I, I would think that yes, he does. Um, not exclusively to men. I think he hates us both just equally, but perhaps in different ways. But yeah, as women, we are procreators. Like we create other human beings out of our bodies. So, uh, if you can, if you can malign and harm women, then you cut off man, humankind's ability to reproduce. Mm -hmm. Um, so yes, in that sense, I can imagine there's a great hatred there. And I think, you know, could we say that the adversary his high profile targets are these issues of like gender, marriage, sexuality, but even just on gender, and the early principle that we see of God's image bearing being downloaded into man and woman in the earth. And, you know, apart from like marriage and sexuality, can we see a principle there that in the church we need both male and female operating at full, full tilt to really, you know, you know where I'm going with this. Yeah. Yeah. I see it like what, um, I had this interesting conversation with someone recently and they were, uh, they asked the question, um, or they said when abuse is happening or when you see something that's wrong, you should ask the question, would this have happened in the garden of Eden prior to the fall? And if the answer is no, then we know that there's some roots in, in sin there. We see the garden of Eden as a pristine place where things were right and we see um, male and female both um, dominating the earth and uh, having dominion over the earth. And they were co, uh, not conspirators, I guess later they were co-conspirators, but co-laborers um, co in uh, cultivating the garden and being a part of that and living in harmony with one another. And so when Jesus came and the veil was torn in two, and we hear Paul say things like there's neither Jew nor Greek, male nor female. We see this 
this um, this return, or we hope to see this beginning of a return to Eden. And it's almost like a crescendo and a decrescendo. So the crescendo of the Old Testament um, crescendos to the climax of Jesus Christ in the new, and then the decrescendo is us getting closer and closer to the new heavens and the new earth and the ideal of the kingdom. And so as the church, we're supposed to represent this new heavens and new earth. And how else can we do that but to work alongside one another in harmony and dignifying the image of God in one another and the way that we approach things. I think a lot of problems that we have today with um, abuse in the church is that we're not seeing women's voices very often. And there was a, there was a study done and I, I don't have it right in front of me, so I can't quote it, but they did this study of boards. Um, it was a business study and they were looking at the efficacy of board of directors. And they found that if they had homogenous boards, in other words, if it was all men or all women, that they had a certain level of effectiveness. But okay. when the men and women were together on a board, the board's effectiveness went significantly higher. See? And that to me shows that we need to have a place at the table. Um, we need to be able to have a voice there, um, at being able to, you know, create policy for our church and be able to have voice in, you know, how do we protect our children? I mean, these are things that are close to a mama's heart for sure. And we need to have these com- kind of conversations that are open and dignifying and not just dismissive of, of one gender over the other. Absolutely. And I love your imagery of crescendo, decrescendo, and we're obviously closer now to the new heavens and the new earth, right? In which there will be perfect justice, perfect righteousness, perfect, um, you know, holiness, perfect efficacy in our continuing roles in, in the unfolding kingdom of Christ forever. And so we should be starting to live now, you're saying, in the light of that more as, as much as we can, right? That's what, that's what I want to do. Yeah, absolutely. And so this secular research about boards, it's showing that even just in creation, God has baked into it how things work best. And even non-Christians then, to some extent, can tap these, these uh, measures, how things work best. And it teaches the church, <laughs> again. Yeah, exactly. In, in some sense, in front of us on some things. As we close, what about complementarianism and egalitarianism, this whole con- uh, uh, conversation that's been happening in various sectors of the church? And I understand it in one sense. In another sense, I I fear that some of these well-intentioned um, interpretations um, may be sort of mitigating against what we're talking about here. What 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 is it? What is complementarianism and what is egalitarianism? I'm not a huge expert on this, but I will say from the outside, it looks like um, egalitarian would say that women and men have equal roles in the church and within marriage. Uh, Complementarians would say that both are equal in the sight of God, but that God has ordained different roles. And I think the thing that to talk about is that there's nuances in both. And some people like I consider myself on a spectrum in between there somewhere. Um, and I don't think that the scripture is, I think the scripture is a lot more nuanced and not just like you're either this or you're that. And then you, you, 
you cherry pick your scriptures to prove your point. Um, because on the one hand we see, you know, Jesus totally (laughs) dignifying women and, um, uh, of which I am one. And on the other hand, you also see some of the Pauline writings that, seem to restrict women's roles. And so I'm still wrestling through that. But the one thing I do know is I have friends in both places. And that's why I'm saying I'm in the middle of somewhere of that, of those two. And I think my husband and I would stay in the middle of those two. Um, but I, I have egalitarian friends who are, um, aren't very good at helping people who are abused. And I have complementarian friends who are, and I've got the opposite of both. And so it's, it's not necessarily about your opinion on those issues as much as it is your heart in wanting to love those who are marginalized. And so if you have a soft heart and if you have been, you know, walking with Jesus for a number of years, it to me is not as important to have a specific theology of gender um, as it is to have a specific heart bent toward Christ. Mm. Yeah, yeah, and so it may be healthy to see yourself on on that spectrum or that continuum instead of in a binary way, right? Because right, I think the binary just makes people yell at each other, and I don't think that that solves anything at this point. Yeah, and there is and there is nuance there, and I. I love your priority of putting the hard issues of the oppressed at the top of the of the value um, ladder there. And I'm going to ask you to pray, if you would, over these issues, if, if you don't mind. But mm-hmm. what are your thoughts on how is the, what do you see in terms of the Holy Spirit empowering women in our time? What, what are you projecting? I'm seeing a holy uprising <laughs> in a positive way of women who are, gaining their voice and are saying, not on my watch anymore. I'm not going to be quiet anymore for the sake of all these structures that seem to need to exist. Um, And so in that sense, I I see women as part of the frontline workers of exposing the darkness of sexual violence. And um, because we're oftentimes, and not always, because there's plenty of men out there who have been sexually abused and, and probably more than the statistics say, because most men uh, tend to try to keep that quiet. Um, So it's not a man issue. It's not a female issue. It's a humanity issue. But um, for so long, because of the systems of this world, women have been so very oppressed that it's their voices that are leading the charge um, into the next generations. And I am very heartened to see the church of the 20-somethings um, my children, for one, um, who see this issue a lot more clearly than older folks. And so I am very confident that we're going to be seeing some pretty light-filled movement go on uh, toward more um, seeing this with a more redemptive view. Yeah, we need all of the gifts and passions that the genders carry brought to the fore. And I do agree that the younger generations are more sensitive. They're more tuned into these sorts of justice issues like that. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. Well, what is the book that you've written since the book that we've already mentioned? Uh, the one before this is called Healing Every Day. It's a 90-day healing journey that is like a devotion um, to help you on that healing journey. The next one that comes out is called Outrageous Grace Every Day, and that takes people through the book of Romans every single day for 90 days. And it's like a commentary and a devotion had a baby. 
And so uh, you will have read through the entire book of Romans in 90 days. Wow, and those are, that's my next book. Okay. And then the middle one we did mention, We Too, How the Church Can Respond Redemptively to the Sexual Abuse Crisis. MaryDemuth.com, D-E-M-U-T-H. And her site is called Restory. And of course, her podcast, Pray Every Day. Mary, would you, um, would you mind praying over these issues, praying over uh, us, praying over the church? Sure. Jesus, thank you for um, thank you for light. Thank you for endowing all of us with your dignity. Help us to see every single human being that we encounter as light bearers of you who bear your image, and therefore they are worthy of being listened to and loved and, and walked alongside, Lord. Um, I pray for the person listening today who has that story, who may have a story of sexual exploitation, and I pray that you would send them some safe people to disclose to, that you would send prayer warriors around them, that you would avail them to reach resources that will help them get out of the dark place and into the light. Um, Lord, I know that's a long journey. I pray for perseverance. I pray for hope. I pray that there would not be, um, I, I pray hopelessness would not reign, but hope would reign. And uh, thank you for your absolute and stunning love for us. And we rest in that today. We ask that your Holy Spirit would empower us to love the people in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We agree with that. Affirm that. Mary, we appreciate you, your story, the work that you're doing, the voice that you are, the publishing, all of the content creation. Appreciate you so much. And you know, thanks for carving out a little bit of time and coming to this audience, okay? So appreciate it. Thank you. So what if women came to their full place in the body of Christ, their full voice in the kingdom of God? What could it mean in terms of the church imaging God more powerfully in the earth and exercising dominion under his sovereignty on his behalf as vice regents in the earth? If we will receive more of the heart of Jesus for women and actually begin to walk it out, I believe it will be a game changer for restoration in the church. And then as an outcome of that, salt and light transformation in society and culture. Jesus called it a city set on a hill. I appreciate you, Mary DeMuth. We're appreciative of your work and your influence. Don't forget to go to marydemuth.com. Restory, the old is gone, the new awaits. She also has a podcast, Pray Every Day podcast. You'll see it on the site, three minutes, 365 days a year, straight out of the scriptures, using the scriptures as a template for prayer. We2.org slash pastors, giving pastors and leaders a great PDF of resources. And We2.org slash 21 days, a free 21-day email series for everyone. It's free, 21 days, it's for everyone, where she writes about those struggling through their healing, the process of healing on these issues. To learn more about the podcast itself, please go to JesusSmart.com and see the show notes page for this episode. All of these links I've talked about, additional resources, additional information about Mary DeMuth. You're going to want to check out the show notes page for this episode, number 89. There on the show notes page too, you'll have an opportunity to sign up for a free, most every week, uh, e-letter from Jesus Smart, next level ideas and insights to, to further develop as a Christ follower and to really game up as an apprentice of his kingdom. Hey, let's get Jesus Smart about it. We'll talk with you soon. Mm-hmm.